Welcome to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. One of the things we added in this report that has not really been looked at much in this research area is stability. That's obviously a really important factor when it comes to healthy relationships is how stable is your relationship? How prone are you to break up or divorce if you're married? And when we looked at that specific outcome, that's where we found that fairly significant, consistent negative effect with pornography, that the more pornography people were reporting in the relationship, and as you mentioned, not just in isolation, not just in secret, but even together, that was related to less stability in the relationship. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What We Can't Not Talk About, the podcast of the Austin Institute for the Study of Family and Culture. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming on our podcast, Dr. Brian Willoughby, Assistant Professor in the School of Family Life at Brigham Young University. Good morning, Brian, and welcome to our show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Did I pronounce your surname correctly? Yes, okay. Willoughby. Okay, great. I had to ask it before we recorded, but I forgot. So for the most attentive in our audience, the School of Family Life is home to another scholar who was on our show previously, Professor Jason Carroll. And in addition to being colleagues at the university, Brian and Jason are the co-authors with Dr. Galena Rhodes of a very recent report that was sponsored by the Whitley Institution and by the Austin Institute for the Study of Family and Culture. And the title of that report is The Porn Gap, how is pornography impacting relationships between men and women today? So, Brian, I actually cannot wait to talk about some of those findings of how pornography is affecting relationships. But before we get into the weeds of that report, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah, no, happy to. Like you said, I'm a professor in the School of Family Life. My background is in family science and in healthy relationship development. So my background is in originally in healthy marriages and why marriages succeeded or failed. But then over the years and over my career, I've really become invested in just relationship process and particularly those things about dating and long-term relationships that affect the health of those relationships. And so pornography and sexuality have been one of those areas that I've spent a lot of time in in my career. And, and particularly pornography has become, as, as I'm sure we'll get into a little bit in our discussion, has become one of those topics with modern couples that couples are navigating. It's becoming a, a very prominent and normative and common thing that couples have to navigate in their relationship. And so it's been something that I've spent a fair amount of time in my career recently trying to understand, trying to understand how couples talk about pornography, how they navigate it, what the effects are in the relationship. And that's been a lot of the, the research that I've done here in the School of Family Life at BYU and in reports like this. Yeah, let me add, before we get into the report, I would like to add that you're considered an international expert in the field of couple and marital relationship. And that, as you said, you focus I mean, not only on marriage, but also on adolescents and young adults and adults that move toward marriage, which is most of our audience, because that's the community that the Austin Institute speaks to the most. So you're absolutely the one guest on our show that our listeners really, really want to hear. And then you've been married, I read, for 11 years, maybe it's 12 now, I don't know, to your wife, Cassie, and together you have four children. So I would say that you're definitely entitled to talk about marriage and healthy <laughs> relationship and children and family life. All right, so let's get to the report. And you mentioned that your studies lately have focused on pornography. So I know that many times people list the threats to marriage and relationships, and there are several, but among them, there is pornography. 
Would you say that this is the biggest threat right now? If you could have a priority of what are the threats, what would they be and where would you place pornography in that? Yeah, so I usually when people ask that question, the first thing I go to in terms of biggest threats is I go a little bit bigger than pornography and talk about some of our cultural emphasis on relationships. And so when we look at the really the large level, uh, particularly with young adults and, and adolescents and teens, we're seeing a retreat from relationships generally. So if you look at kind of dating rates, like the percent of high school seniors that have said they've ever been on a date, the marriage rate, the average age of marriage, all of these indicators we have have suggested that we have a rising generation that is disengaging from marriage, disengaging from relationships in general. And I think a lot of that has to do with just our cultural value on long-term healthy relationships in marriage. Is It's something that we still kind of value, but we don't value it as much. And young adults don't value it as much as we have in generations past. So to me, that's been kind of the biggest threat, I would say, kind of Threat number one is kind of our cultural importance we place on the importance of marriage and raising kids within marriage. But then when you break that down and say, okay, what are some of the the other pieces that fit into that? Then I think you get to the second level of threats. And this is where I put things like pornography use, social over-reliance on social media is another one that I put in there, a lack of good communication skills and interpersonal competence, dating skills. So pornography is kind of right there on what I would put kind of is the second major tier of threats. And, and one of the reasons pornography is such, in my view, a major issue in modern relationships is just because of how common it is. Pornography has existed forever in some form or another, but what's really changed in the last 15 to 20 years is how accessible it's become. And because of how accessible it's become, just how many people on a very regular basis are engaging with pornography use. And because it's so common, that means that almost all modern couples now have to navigate this. And as we'll get into, because it's a risk to relationship stability in particular, that's why it becomes such an important thing to talk about. Yeah. In fact, I think that the biggest takeaway from the report and your biggest finding that we're going to discuss is that pornography is bad basically, even if it's not a secret in a couple, because what your research suggests is that evidence is that pornography is bad also when used jointly by couples. So it's not a problem related to a one-person use, unless there is a correlation, causation or correlation problem. But yeah, what would you say about that? Like, is pornography ever something that is truly enhancing relationships? Yeah. And, and this is one of the big debates right now in the field. And, and like anything in social sciences, can you go find one anecdotal example of a couple that is at least reporting that their relationship has been improved by using pornography together. Sure, you could find those anecdotal pieces to, to everything. But in research, right, we're trying to figure out what's true of most people. How can we inform and help educate people and help inform policy by understanding what happens to most people in different situations? And when it comes to pornography, one of the things we try to do in this report is really expand what we were looking at. A lot of the research in this area is very focused on satisfaction. It's kind of the main outcome. Are you happy in your relationship? And that's certainly important, but there's also a lot of debate about how important it is to be satisfied all the time because that fluctuates in any relationship up and down. And so, as I mentioned, one of the things we added in this report that has not really been looked at much in this research area is stability. That's obviously a really important factor when it comes to healthy relationships is how stable is your relationship? How prone are you to break up or divorce if you're married? And when we looked at that specific outcome, 
that's where we found that fairly significant, consistent negative effect with pornography, that the more pornography people were reporting in the relationship, and as you mentioned, not just in isolation, not just in secret, but even together, that was related to less stability in the relationship. And again, that was on average across this large national sample that we found. And that's where that term that I used before becomes really important, is a risk. Is that, like I said, certainly like anything, you find a spectrum of experiences, but on average, pornography certainly seems to be a risk, particularly to the stability of healthy relationships. As we kind of talked about in the report, the idea being is that if you want the best likelihood of having a healthy and stable relationship, those couples were the least likely to use pornography in their study. Yeah, and we are talking about the findings. And I think, and this is great because it's getting the attention of our audience, but I think I want to go back, starting from the questions. And even, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned that the research needs to be done in this area, but how did this particular report come to life? In particular, because the Austin Institute has been one of its sponsors. So, you know, where the questions that animated the study and the research that you had, and why did we and our donors decided that this is a worthy venture, that it was a worthy study? What was missing from the picture? Yeah. So this debate about how pornography affects relationships has been an ongoing one for probably the last decade, really, in the field. And the problem has been with the existing research is that we just simply don't have a lot of really good data about pornography use. The, the studies that are out there tend to fall into one of two categories. Either they're very small, convenient samples of college students, small samples of couples, which it's really hard to draw strong conclusions when you only have a sample of maybe 100 or so people. You're trying to generalize them to the general public. And then the other batch of studies that we have are larger samples, so national good sampling. But then the problem there is that oftentimes the measurement of pornography is really poor. Uh, in most of those studies, for example, the one question they would ask people about pornography use is just as simple, how often do you view pornography? And the problem with that is that we know that that definition of pornography is very different for different people. And so when you ask someone that question, we don't really know what they meant when they put, yeah, I, I watch pornography once a month. Well, what does that mean? Is that a TV show? Is that explicit videos online? Is that a picture? And so what we wanted to do with this study is really for the first time, not just get a good large national sample, but also then pair that with really specific good measurement in this area so that we could really say with a lot more confidence than we've ever said before what is the effect of pornography and, and even just what's happening? And that's the interesting thing is up until this point with this study, we didn't even really have good data to point to to say how common is pornography in the US. That data didn't really exist prior to this. And so, as you said, the, the support of the Austin Institute and the Wheatley Institute at, at BYU, we were able to initiate this very large national sample where we asked very specific questions. One of the unique things about the study is we asked very specific questions of people in terms of what they were viewing. So we didn't just ask, do you watch pornography? We asked very specific questions of, do you watch this, this, this? It was 20 items that we were then able to combine. So in this report, when we talk about watching pornography, we know with a lot of confidence that we're asking about very mainstream, explicit 
hardcore pornography and we know exactly what people were reporting back to us. And so we could then pair that with this very specific measurement about stability and relationship satisfaction and sexual satisfaction. And like I said, it just was for the first time able to give us a lot of confidence in these associations to say, how is pornography linked with these different outcomes? Great. Thank you very much for this. It makes things clear for those that are not experts in the field of why this kind of research is needed and when we can get out of it. I would like to add, among this question you mentioned, you've asked more specific questions about pornography and what kind of pornography. But so I know that everyone in the audience might understand the difference between soft and hardcore. But then I noticed in the report that is linked to this episode, so people will be able to download it and read in. There are very easy graphs and findings, so it's easy for everyone to read and understand. But I read that there's also this difference between hardcore and extreme. So you asked, I would say, very, very specific question, but would you also explain to the people that were answering what you were actually wanting to know from them? Yeah, and that extreme form of pornography that we referenced in the report was our desire to not just capture the kind of, you know, normative, typical, hardcore, explicit pornography that people view. But we also wanted to look at things that we would label as more extreme. And so those are things like, you know, rape pornography, kind of more extreme pornography that's showing aggression towards women, things like that. Because one of the other questions we we wanted to look at again was, does that content matter? You know, that's kind of one of the arguments that's out there. Well, well, Maybe pornography has a negative effect on relationships, but it's only the people that are viewing this very extreme form of pornography, you know, this very aggressive rape type pornography. And and as long as you avoid that and you're just kind of in quote unquote normal porn, that's not what's going to affect you, which is why we wanted to separate those in the report like we did to show that, no, we see the same effect across the board. We see these negative effects. We see these risks to pornography regardless of if you separate out kind of the more extreme versions of pornography to what most people are watching. And if I may ask, so you said a large sample, so who are the the interviewed people? Yeah, so we had two samples that we used in this particular report. We had individual samples. So everyone that was in the study was in a relationship, in a committed relationship. And then we had a large sample of almost 4,000 people across the United States in our individual sample where we had just one partner. And we use that for a lot of our frequency data. It was a quota sample, which meant we wanted to make sure we had kind of equal number of genders, educational statuses, different regions of the U.S. So we tried to kind of make sure we had a nice diverse sample. So that was almost 4,000 people. And then we had a separate couple sample that was over 700 matched couples, which is one of the really new things, again, about this report is that no one's really had any kind of large couple sample where we had data from both partners. And that's where we could actually start to look at things like, how much do you think your partner looks at porn versus how much do they actually report? How does that affect relationship dynamics? And so all said, we had almost 5,000 people in the sample across the United States. And how about the age, age range? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the age range ranged across, so they were anywhere from 18 up through 60s and 70s, a normal distribution. So average age was right around 30s, middle age. So we again, that was another thing we wanted to look at. We have a, a small part of the report where we even talk a little bit about age, but the, the age range kind of spans across the life course with most of them being in their late 20s through their 30s. Okay, so now let's get to some of the findings. And I would start with the title, you call it the porn gap. Is that a gender gap in the viewing? 
Yeah. So it's exactly what you said. It's a gender gap is, is I like to tell people pornography use in my experience and expertise in relationship science is probably the most gendered behavior that we see. Consistently, we see that men report higher viewing of pornography. Now, we, we need to be careful. Part of that is probably women underreporting a little bit more than men. So that might be a little bit. But, it, but if you look at the numbers, this gap is so large that it's a very consistent gender gap between men and women in their pornography history, experience, and their current use, which obviously plays into a lot of how this affects relationships, because particularly in heterosexual relationships, you now have a man and a woman who have oftentimes very different experiences and histories with pornography when they start that relationship. This gap and these differences is also related to the kind of pornography and has it changed or do you think it's going to change? Yeah, interestingly, in terms of your first question, in terms of types of pornography, the gap does change just a little bit when we look at, say, a mainstream hardcore pornography and extreme pornography. The gap opens up a little bit, but not very much. The, the gap stays pretty consistent across different types of pornography use. And again, it's very, very large. You're talking about it in terms of regular weekly use between men and women. Men are about 10 times more likely than women to use at that level. That, like I said, doesn't change a ton when you look at different types. So that's been consistent. Now, what has changed to your second question is over time, we have been seeing shifts. Pornography use has been increasing for both men and women across time, but women are slowly catching up to men. That, that'd be kind of the one thing I'd say about that gap is it's still very, very large. But we do have some evidence that women are increasingly engaging in pornography. If you look at the data from, say, 10, 15 years ago, you're typically looking at maybe 10, 15% of women, maybe 20% of women that are regularly engaging with pornography use. And then, you know, based on the data that we have in our report, now that number is getting up to 30, 40% of women, even closer to 50% of women in some cases, depending on what you're looking at of women reporting regular engagement with pornography use. So it's interesting because the gender gap is very large, but in some ways it masks the fact that women have actually doubled or tripled their use in the last decade and are catching up to men. Now, men's use is so high that that gap is still very large, but that's been the one change that we've seen. Since you're an expert in this field and your first studies are in psychology, I had other people interviewed on this show talking about pornography and women's use of pornography. And they seem to agree that maybe women are doing it more to be able to understand what men want and are watching. So more as a induced behavior. So I don't know what you think about that. And also what you think about the possibility that having shown with your report that pornography doesn't really help couples, let's say this could be a message to women, you know, that are doing it for that reason. Yeah, I tend to agree with that narrative. In fact, one of the things I really want to do in the next year or two is really understand this dynamic that happens with couples when pornography is introduced to the relationship and they're trying to navigate what that looks like. Because my hypothesis, which is kind of in line, it sounds like with some of your previous guests, is that one of the reasons we've seen this increase in female use is a lot of these women being introduced to pornography, like you said, by male partners. That's another kind of gender difference that we see is that men tend to start using pornography at much younger ages on average than women. And so I suspect as the acceptance of pornography has increased for both men and women, men and women are, are now generally much more accepting of pornography use generally and in relationships. 
that what used to happen, which is a lot of men hiding their pornography use, now I suspect what's happening is a lot of men, once they get into a committed relationship, are introducing their partner to pornography and utilizing it then as a couple activity. Again, that's one of the other interesting things that came out in this report that we've suspected, but now again, we've got good data for, is you know, about half of couples in this report reported pornography use together. I think that number might surprise maybe some people, maybe not. But now we're in a culture where getting to the point where most couples are using pornography together, I think a lot of that is male initiated. So the male kind of initiated that use in the relationship. And as you said, I suspect a lot of women are maybe thinking, hey, this is going to help me understand my male partner. Maybe it's going to enhance our relationship a little bit. I think there's probably for a lot of female partners, this idea of I'd rather have him do it with me together than on his own alone and in secret. But as you said, I think the key part of that is there's an assumption that, well, because we're doing it together, this isn't affecting us negatively. It's just like this other long list of things that we might utilize together in our intimacy that we feel like is enhancing things. But the problem is that pornography is not like those other things because pornography is media. And media is sending messages and affecting things like scripts and expectations in ways that, say, lingerie is not doing. And that's the piece that I think a lot of couples don't quite understand because when you look at joint pornography use, one of the things that you do tend to see sometimes is elevated reports of sexual satisfaction. So they'll say, yeah, this is helping us communicate about our sexuality better. It's helping us be more satisfied with our sex life. But at the same time, what our report is showing is that might be true in some cases, but it's also destabilizing your relationship. So you might be happy with your sex life for a while, but in the long term, it's actually undermining the very foundation of your relationship. And we think a lot of that has to do with these messages that pornography is sending. And well, you said that our audience might be shocked about the numbers of joint viewing of pornography by couples like what is the percentage that we're talking about like is it 10 percent of couples 20 50 yeah so if you, if you go into our report specifically and we separated yeah. this by married couples and then dating couples so when we asked our married couples how often do you view pornography together it's interesting it depends on if you ask the husband or the wife the the wives were reporting a little bit less than the husbands but if you kind of average those together you're getting about 45 ish percent 40, 45% of married couples in the wow. sample said that they're viewing pornography together at least on a monthly basis, either monthly or weekly. Mm-hmm. When we went to the dating couples, we found across both men and women, it was about 50%. So about 50% of men and women were reporting that on a monthly or weekly basis, they were viewing pornography together. So like I said, when you put those together, it's a little less right around half of all couples now reporting some regular engagement together with pornography. I also read though, among the questions that you asked is, you know, if people are talking about it or they're hiding it, because it looks like, yes, they do it a lot together, but it seems to be like at least one in four person using pornography is hiding it from the partner. Yeah, there's an interesting piece to the couple piece. Again, like I said, I think a lot of women assume that, well, if we're using and viewing pornography together, that is at least hopefully replacing maybe what he was doing alone when they were dating or when he was single. But the data supports that that's not necessarily the case, that men in particular continue to utilize pornography alone in addition to what they're doing with their partner. So again, everyone in our study was in a committed relationship. 
in our reports for men, in terms of when we ask them very specifically, how much pornography do you watch alone? So what are you doing outside of what you're doing with your partner? The men were still reporting pornography use that was up in the you know, 50, 60, 70% range. And so most of these men are still actively using pornography alone, even with the pornography use they're doing with their partner. And so there's this element that there still is, even in these relationships where we're using pornography together, a lot of individual use and a lot of, like you said, we found that a lot of that individual use is hidden. Interestingly, one thing I'll add to that is what we're finding is that oftentimes it's not a complete secret. So my partner might know that I am using pornography alone, but what I'm hiding is how often it is. And so my partner, particularly my female partner, might think it's a very rare thing, a couple times a year maybe, when in reality, it's a weekly occurrence or multiple times a month. And so I'm keeping it a secret in the sense that you might know something's going on, but the secrecy is about how often it's happening. Yeah. And to go back to that gap and the different reasons why men and women use it, it strikes me how one in three women, based on your report, fears that he is more attracted to porn than to them. So a lot of these women are women that are watching it together. So it's actually not enhancing their confidence. You know, it's still something to be afraid of, not something that they enjoy. And then this other fear that he was thinking about porn while being with them. Yeah. In fact, those two findings to me, and I think to the other authors of the report, were probably the most significant things that we found is that across this national sample, we are finding a significant portion of, of actually both men and women were reporting these underlying fears and anxieties about the effect porn was having on their intimacy. Like you said, a significant portion of men and women saying, I'm worried that my partner is thinking about pornography when we're being intimate. The other big one is we found a significant portion of men and women reporting that they had felt like there was some pressure on them to perform certain acts with their partner that they thought was coming from pornography. And I think what these data points are telling us, kind of back to some of the things we were talking about earlier, is that pornography is so pervasive in our culture right now And we have so few resources for couples on how to navigate this. I think a lot of both men and particularly women feel a little bit at a loss of how to handle this. Is They know it's there. They know or they suspect their male partner is probably regularly using pornography or has used pornography. We live in a culture where I think a lot of people feel like they can't necessarily take a stance on, I don't want pornography in our relationship. So they're letting it in. And they're telling themselves, well, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think, like you said, maybe it's enhancing things. But these questions we asked in the report allowed us to get kind of below the surface and show that a lot of these people have these anxieties and fears and worries about what pornography is actually doing to their relationship. Yeah. And I noticed, I mean, I found your report to be incredible. So in the way you measured what what you wanted to measure to see the effect on couple. And as you mentioned already, you mentioned the stability and you had different questions that you would ask couple to understand what was the stability of their relationship. And then you had commitment, relationship satisfaction and sexual satisfaction. Could you tell us a little more for the non-expert researchers that are listening, how you actually measured the effect of porn on the couple? 
Yeah, so each one of those we used validated scientific measures. They, they're all multiple item measures. So we asked people a series of questions and we combine that data together. And so the, the satisfaction items are, are pretty standard, just asking people about how satisfied they are. The stability items measure was actually a validated stability assessment that we used to ask people, how often do you think about breaking up or leaving your partner? How often have you talked about it? Uh, with your partner. And so it was actually a very specific assessment that was assessing both thoughts and actions about leaving the relationship or thinking about other potential partners. And, and so that that was a very, it's a very solid uh, measure of stability. And then commitment, which was very related to stability, was uh, Scott Stanley's measure, one of the great scholars in the area on commitment. We used his, which is probably the best commitment to measure out there to measure commitment, which is kind of felt commitment to your partner. So in all those cases, we made sure we used really validated scientific measures where we asked people multiple questions and then combine that together to see what the effect was. All right. And so, yes, there is at least a correlation, right? Because the healthiest couple were reporting less loan use and less couple use. Yeah. And in that particular finding, the other thing we decided to do that was kind of innovative in this report is we looked at the correlations between pornography use and all these specific outcomes like we've been talking about. But then we also decided to put all of them together and say, okay, let's let's look holistically at relationships and let's separate out then the relationships that are reporting to us that they're committed to each other, they're emotionally close with each other, they're highly satisfied. We're going to put all those couples into one basket and then we're going to take all the other couples that are doing pretty well, right? They're, they're moderately healthy. They're saying they're stable. They're satisfied. They're, they might not be, you know, on a 10-point scale, they might be kind of the sixes and the sevens a little bit. Let's put them in a bucket and then let's take all of our unhealthy couples. So the couples that are reporting that they're having problems and, and issues and they're less satisfied, less stable, let's put them in a bucket. And then let's look at these three groups and go back to pornography and see if we can find any differences between them. And as you alluded to, what we found is when we looked at those very healthiest couples, the couples that were saying across the board, we're stable, we're satisfied, we connect well with each other, they were significantly less likely to use any pornography in their life. The moderately healthy couples were the most likely to use pornography. And then the, the unhealthiest couples were also using a fair amount of pornography. But it was really those healthiest couples that were showing us that they were significantly less likely to use pornography when we combine all those measures together. If I may add one of the interesting findings that might discourage people and dispel the legend that watching pornography is going to enhance their sexual relationship because the sexual satisfaction reported by couple was almost the same across all groups. Like the people that would watch it, that would watch it a lot, that would watch it like the sexual satisfaction didn't change. So, Yeah, that's uh, an interesting thing I've had some dialogue with, with some of my colleagues in this field about. Is, is that interestingly, when you look across the research, the most common thing you find is either negative effects or no effects. It's very difficult to find those enhancing effects. And then there's basically no evidence of that in anything we looked at across the entire study that pornography was helpful for couples. Almost everything was trending in the negative direction. A couple things, like I said, sexual satisfaction was kind of one of those things that was kind of in and out in terms of significance. But there was very little to no evidence out there in anything we looked at that pornography was having some sort of enhancing 
positive effect on these couples on average. And I think that this is a message that really needs to get out. You know, if there is anyone that is using it and thinking it's like, no, I mean, it's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do the couple any good. And we had other, the other guests we had one, you know, makes filters for porn, for computer and internet use and another runs a program for sexual addiction recovery. So, I mean, there are ways to get out of trouble, multiple ways. But as you mentioned before, pornography is a problem for couples and they feel like there is no help out there for them. So based on the fact that we can read easily in your report, because it's very clear what you found, that this is a cause of problems for couples and of anxiety and of dissatisfaction with their relationship, what can people do as singles and as couples? Yeah. And I'm going to split that into two layers because you said something important. I think about the message that needs to get out here. So much of our dialogue around pornography is at the extremes. And what I mean by that is that you've got a lot of people out there that are very focused on the addiction recovery area, like you said, compulsive pornography use, where there's, there's a lot of issues, a lot of resources that need to happen, clinical resources and other educational resources. But the reality is, Our best data suggests that only about 10% of pornography users fall into that category of true addiction compulsive use. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people, as we've mentioned, that will say, well, I can find, you know, this one couple that use porn and and they've been married for 20 years and they're really happy. And so I'm going to use this kind of other extreme examples to show that pornography is is fine. And the reality is we don't talk enough about the 90% of people in the middle which is most couples, your average couple out there. And what the data suggests there is that you're right. Pornography is not necessarily going to ruin your relationship. It's not going to take you from the 10 down to the one. And in some cases where there's addiction and compulsion that can happen, but the research as we've been talking about is very clear that pornography is a risk factor. And that's the message I think that needs to get out there and something that we can all do is to get that message out there that pornography is a risk factor. It's risky to engage in, just like a lot of other things that you could engage in that are risky behaviors. Pornography looks like another risky behavior that is increasing your risk of having an unhealthy or unstable relationship. And so if you want the best likelihood of having a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship, this would probably be something that you would avoid. And I think getting that message out there that's not being catastrophize, like I said, that's one of the things I worry about sometimes is that our message gets too extreme. Mm -hmm. And then most people hear it and they say, well, my life is falling apart when I look at porn. I'm not addicted to pornography. And so then they turn their ears off. And so if the message can be, yes, that's this group over here, but for most people, there is still a risk and be able to articulate what that risk is, I think is really important. I think that the other level then kind of more specific to why I'm just this average person or I'm in a relationship Mm -hmm. What can I do? I think the other big thing there is having open, clear, honest communications with other people around pornography. Again, this is something that's so common and so normative and so hard to avoid. Almost everyone has exposure and some history with pornography. And so the more that we can be open with that and talk about it with our partners, with ourselves, with religious leaders, with friends, I think a lot of the harm and even a lot of the compulsion and addiction that happens because of pornography is because people don't talk about it. They hide it. They aren't open with their partner about it. Like I said, I think a lot of why pornography is so common in relationships is because couples just don't want to talk about it. So it just kind of happens. 
So I think being more intentional about this topic and being more open in our conversations about it with ourselves, with our romantic partners is going to go a long way to helping bring this topic out more to the forefront, which it just, it needs to be for a lot of couples. Absolutely, Brian. I'm so thankful for what you just said. I really think, you know, when I see young couples and, you know, preparing, not even engaged, but after a couple of dates, even like starting to talk about this thing to understand who is the person that, you know, that you're meeting and that you're dating. I mean, not, you know, full on with the direct question, but understanding what's our understanding of sexuality and what's his role in our life and how we feel about our body. The less it is a taboo and the more we will be able, I think, to fight this problem of pornography that is, as you said, you know, it's not only the extreme, it's not only destroying some single life of people that are addicts, but it's creating little troubles that add day after day in the life of couples and create anxiety and create satisfaction and create fear and create concealment. So I'm really thankful, Brian, for what you said. And as said, the report is linked and I invite all our audience to actually download it and read it and to send us even more questions. We are in contact with the Whitley Institute and we love to work with them and we're very happy that we have sponsored the study and the ones that will come since, as you mentioned, there is more work needs to be done in this area. Yeah, we're hoping to keep working on it with Austin and here we meet. All right. Thank you very much, Brian. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you all for listening to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. Please share it with your friends. Please give us a five-star rating and please donate so we can do even more.